Hey there, before we get started with the show, we just want to let you know today's Crypto Daily Briefing is in partnership with the Crypto Phenom Letter. This is a one-of-a-kind premium investment newsletter service that highlights the next winners coming in cryptocurrency tokens and equities. Get special access today at phenomcrypto.com slash realvision. That's phenomcrypto.com slash realvision. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Diego Gutierrez Saldivar, co-founder and CEO of IOV Labs, and Pei Chen, Chief Growth Officer at IOV Labs, join me today. Welcome, guys. Thank you, Ash. Uh, very happy you, to Ash. be here. Likewise. Well, very happy to have you. Very excited to be talking about Bitcoin and all of the latest developments uh, on that network. But first, I want to take a look at some prices. Bitcoin right now trading at 26,692. Uh, trailing seven-day basis, it's basically off, uh, call it about 0.8% uh, Ethereum. Very similar looking chart here, $1,853. Trailing seven-day basis off uh, about half a percent. Uh, One-day basis, it's up about 1%. Looking now at some other protocols here, boy, these are some ugly charts and they all have the same pattern. Let's look right now at BNB. Uh, this is the Binance coin off 13% trailing seven days. Let's go to Solana. Boy, you could be mistaken for thinking it was the same chart. It's not just the same pattern. Trading right now, 18,000.86, uh, just shy of 19 bucks off trailing seven day basis, about 9%. Cardano, there you see it, same pattern again, trading at 32 cents on my screen, off 10% trailing seven-day basis. Polygon, also known as Matic, right now at 777, 0.777, I should say, you already knew that, off about 13% uh, on a trailing seven-day basis. Not uh, a pretty pattern there, obviously some news flow pushing those protocols downward. Okay, shifting gears away from those coins and back to Bitcoin. Guys, welcome to the show. Really excited to have you here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what you guys do uh, at IOV Labs. Well, um, uh, May, if I if I may pay, I can, I can start. I think it's, um, you know, IOV Labs, it's, uh, it's an organization that has many, many years of existence in the crypto world, which is not so common. Uh, it started in, January 2016, although the, the ideas uh, and and the reason why it started come like way back to we can, you know, connect them to 2012 or, you know, back to 2012, 2013 uh, with the, the beginnings of the Bitcoin community in Argentina. No? So, so we started uh, to try to to sort out the problems of adoption, Bitcoin adoption, and and uh, and the problems in Latin America, and over the years, uh, IOV Labs created uh, the the source code of Rootstock, the smart contract platform, the the first layer two, the first sidechain to Bitcoin, um, that went live in 2018, and then we kept building protocols, uh, the Reef protocols, to sort out scalability, usability, and and interoperability needs. Uh, to create what in our vision is the Internet of Value, you know, a new network of networks for the, the handling, sovereign handling of value uh, built on top of Bitcoin. Uh, so that's a little bit, sorry for the long <laughs> description, but that's, that's what we do. 
We love the deep context here, Diego. Uh, Pay, tell us a little bit about your journey uh, at at, uh, your firm and also about how you got involved in the first place in the world of digital assets, specifically Bitcoin. Absolutely. Um, I think my journey um, at LV is relatively short compared to uh, Diego. So I joined the company about a, a year and a half ago. And the interesting thing is I went from the Ethereum camp to the Bitcoin camp. Um, in pursuit of what actually, what else can actually be built on top of Bitcoin after living my life in crypto, simply just like DeFi on Ethereum. And what I found is actually quite a quite interesting. Um, I very quickly um, got involved in you know the development work in the emerging market side as you know chief growth officer. I am very involved in specific opportunities and utilities we're building with our technology, thinking about as the earliest and still pretty much the most active sidechain community on Bitcoin, um, how can we rebuild our leadership and how can we actually take advantage of this um, recent trend of building activities on top of Bitcoin and actually bring our technology to market? So I would say that from 2016 to 2018, 19, I think I'll be as a key contributor to the Rootstock community was very much a building that foundation. And then we created a lot of primitives um, by working with our anchoring projects such as Sovereign and Money on Chain. So it's stablecoin, it's the trading uh, platform for DeFi and all of that basic functionalities. But now we are in a phase that we're thinking out loud of how can we engage the broader community, not just the Bitcoin builders, but also the entire Web3 builders the um, builders that have you know, done Solidity, Ethereum, and other layer ones, how can they actually now come join us in building right. the next era for the Bitcoin? So um, basically we're engaging them through a variety of activities. We have grants program that we rolled out this, this year, and we are working with tier one fintechs and Web3 companies, um, building out utility-driven use cases like remittances that's still right. the holy grail that a lot of um, uh, layer ones and haven't been able to tap into for real. And we're thinking about savings and wealth protections in specific pockets of the world where crypto is actually the best suited for, right? Like Argentina, Colombia, and all those markets where people really need a much more um, sensible way to save their wealth and run away from the hyperinflation. So those are some of my key focus. So let's back up the bus a little bit and do some definitions here uh, for people who may be relatively new to this and hearing about it for the first time. Let's talk about Rootstock and Sovereign. Let's talk a little bit about what that means, uh, what the functionality is, and what the current state of play with those technologies are in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Absolutely. Uh, Rootstock is, as I mentioned, is a layer two to to Bitcoin is the first layer two in existence and uh, has been running since January, actually the birth date of, of Bitcoin, January 3rd, 2018, uh, with 100% uptime, <laughs> no no stops. And and what we did when we built Rooster was like combined two things, is that we combined, you know, the, the Bitcoin infrastructure, Bitcoin as a nat- native currency, uh, that's why Rooster is a sidechain, um, and brought the functionality of Ethereum into a second layer. No? So Rootstock has all the capabilities of Ethereum, has Solidity support, 
all the APIs interfaces are exactly the same. Uh, and then we started like building, uh, as Faye mentioned, with Sovereign, with Tropicus, with uh, Money on Chain, with the leading protocols in our ecosystem building, you know, first a peer-to-peer -peer monetary system on top of Bitcoin, where you could have a stable assets that are, are fully collateralized with Bitcoin. That's the case of Money on Chain's dollar, um, and and the the zero dollar from some sovereign, and then on top of that the the basic financial primitives that people need on day to day. You know, it's like uh, once you have the stable assets, you have Bitcoin, then you want to have lending systems, uh, trading systems, exchange systems. So in a way, the ecosystem started building all those primitives, and we have been working together with them in Latin America, like to to also create the bridges between this rootstock ecosystem and economy that is global by design, that is secured by the Bitcoin miners and the local economies, no? because you need to create those bridges. And, and that's the process we are into. No? So essentially, uh, Rootstock is uh, the uh, basically a layer uh, that provides similar functionality to what you might see in Ethereum, also known as a smart contract layer, uh, being uh, built on top of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is used for settlement on Rootstock. Correct, correct for for settlement and and as collateral in the case of uh, the, the stable assets, the truly centralized stable assets what, that we have, which in my opinion, are the, the, the sturdiest, the more robust stable assets you can have in the world today, because they don't have counterparty risk, they have platform risk, but, you know, unlike uh, counterparty risk that only, you know, the chances of, of failure increases with time, in the case of protocols and, and, and protocol risk is like, with time, you have less and less chances of, of failure. And for example, Money on Chain has been running since 2019, uh, it went through the crash, the, the flash crash of 50% on Bitcoin in 2020. Flawlessly, it went through the latest crashes as well. So it's a it's a stable asset protocol that has survived, you know, huge crashes and and has survived and now has 70 million uh, TVL. So so you have a big bounty for hackers to, <laughs> if they want to hack it, they can get like that that sweet uh, pot of of money. And 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 I think it's. Of course, the, the main challenge we have is adoption. And I think that's where Pay and all the, 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 the team and the, and the work we are doing today with different uh, hackathons, bounties, and work uh, with the traditional fintechs as well in the region uh, will come into place. You know, it's like how we take these amazing tools, these like tools that have you know, uh, survived the test of time reach the hands of the regular people, you know, the, the people who needs everyday DeFi, not sophisticated DeFi, but DeFi for everyday needs. Yeah, I would add to that by saying, because just to answer Ash's question, right, where is the technology at? Um, what does the stack look like today? Um, I think the most incredible thing about the rootstock is so far, it started with a super strong narrative. I think back in 2015, 2016 is, this is to combine the security of Bitcoin and the programmability and um, compatibility of Ethereum, meaning mm. this is platform is supposed to expand the Bitcoin network by giving it the smart contract capabilities, right? And we did it in the most pragmatic way that 
let's just go with the solidity. Let's fork Ethereum. And therefore you have this emerged mining component that is super secure with the most secure network. Um, Let, let's and jump in and define some of those terms for folks uh, who may yeah. not know. Uh, specifically, merge mining is the simultaneous mining of multiple coins at the same time. Uh, talk a little bit about how that plays a role uh, in this particular ecosystem today. Yeah, I, I think it's it's very important because you know when you have a layer two to Bitcoin, you have like three elements that make a layer two, and not all layer two has all all the elements. No, it's like you know every layer two anchors the late state status of the network of the secondary network into the primary network. That's Bitcoin. No, so so they anchor every a certain period of time. What is the latest state of the of the network in the primary? Right. That all layer two do. A sidechain specifically needs also to have Bitcoin as their native currency. And that happens with Bitcoin, with Rootstock, that was the first sidechain to exist, and then Liquid came right after. So the, both of those networks have also Bitcoin as their native currency. That's the second element. Mm -hmm. But the third element is unique to, to Rootstock, that is the merge mining. And what merge mining does is like it incentivizes, it provides new revenue streams for Bitcoin miners to protect a second network. And, and the main challenge we had when we started with, with Rooster was like how we could create merge mining of two networks, of so Bitcoin and Rooster at the same time, without impacting the efficiency, the, the, the revenue streams on the Bitcoin side. And we managed to do that. That was like one of our first technological achievements by syncing the polling of you know in the mining process of bitcoin with the creation of the new blocks in the rootstock network the rootstock network has blocks every 30 seconds and that's exactly the same time when the bitcoin miners update the the block template like all the transactions that get into the bitcoin blocks so by doing that we avoided any impact economic impact on the bitcoin side of mining and we added a new revenue stream for Bitcoin miners. So in that sense, Brewstock is unique because every smart contract tra transaction, every NFT minted, every ordinal minted in, in Brewstock actually is paying fees to the Bitcoin miners. So it's creating, it's making Bitcoin stronger, not only as a currency, as an asset, but making the Bitcoin network stronger. You know, so that's very unique. and. I think it was part of our initial decision-making process. It's like why we decided to not to mint a separate currency or token for Rooster, why we decided to use merge mining, because we also wanted to protect Bitcoin. No, we wanted to have a network that would add new functionalities, new use cases to the Bitcoin ecosystem, but contributing to the infrastructure and contributing that to Bitcoin as an asset as well. Right. Hey, you also mentioned Solidity, which is the smart contract language of Ethereum. I talk a little bit about how the functionality in Rootstock compares to Ethereum smart contract functionality, which I think is what most people uh, who think about smart contracts are probably a little bit more familiar with. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, everything um, that's that's being enabled on Ethereum, right, through Solidity, um, either have already been built on Rootstock at the um, the application level um, or can be, so technically it can be enabled. So it's it's very much think about, um, this is 
if you are a developer working on Ethereum with a specific use case, you can completely just port the code and everything to Rootstock with a very minor configuration or tweaking on the code level. But it's essentially the, the same functionality. So if you think about you know, st stablecoin minting that is um, available on Rootstock, and if you're thinking of, think about um, DEXs, P2P trading, that's enabled by our projects, um, lending um, and borrowing being at the primary and the biggest use case, proven use case on Ethereum, currently is being enabled on Rootstock. So the functionality-wise, I think, um, I think technically speaking, the, the one thing I would say would be very different is how NFTs are being um, supported and created, right? So if you look at the um, ERC-721 uh, based NFTs on Ethereum, it is very much a URL linked um, data management, right? It's not the actual thing, but it's not everything stored on chain, but you can point to that URL and then points to the storage and the original asset versus the NFTs on Bitcoin and later on, and on Rootstock is, it could be very much, a, it's a completely different mechanism. It's inscription technology that is everything stored on chain. It's inscribed at Satoshi level um, on the Bitcoin and can be soon moved on to the Rootstock and build that economy out. And there's no URL, there's no like concerns about the counterparty risk or the actual asset where it sits. It sits on the top of the, the Bitcoin, essentially on top of Rootstock. I want to talk a little bit uh, more about the Latin American use case for Bitcoin specifically. You know, if you live here in the United States and someone asks you what the price of Bitcoin is, you say it's about 26,000 uh, bucks as we quoted in the top of the show, uh, obviously off about 60 or so percent from its November 2021 high of 69,000 or thereabout. Uh, but what if I were to tell you that Bitcoin is at or near its all time high? Well, it is if you look at BTC ARS, this is Bitcoin price <laughs> in Argentine pesos. Let's take a look at that chart if we can. Uh, there you see it. Uh, very close, obviously, to a peak uh, in late 21 that we saw in November. But this is all about the deteriorating value of the Argentine currency. Uh, and it, it really is an incredibly powerful chart when you see it and you think about it. Uh, I know we talk about the United States. I'm based here. A lot of Real Vision folks are. Uh, but Bitcoin is very much a global phenomenon. When you look at that chart, it really does resonate uh, to folks who are essentially stuck using a currency uh, where their hard labor is being devalued every day they keep money in the bank or money underneath the mattress. This really is a significant problem for a great percentage of the world. Uh, Diego, talk a little bit about the use case as a store of value as well as a medium of exchange in Latin America. This is something I'm incredibly interested in. Absolutely. I think, you know, I always said, say like, why the crypto, I mean, why Bitcoin community and the crypto community has grown so much in, in Argentina, in particular, in Latin America in general, but Argentina in particular, like it's the home of many of the leading projects, crypto projects and Bitcoin projects in the world. And and I think the, the reason, the main reason is because Argentina has first a tradition of, you know, <laughs> decades of financial system failing people. So, Right. You know, bail-ins, we had in 2001 bail-ins where everybody got their money locked in banks and when they it went out of the banking system, it was worth one quarter of their initial value. So one year later, you have one quarter and this was people's life savings, no? It was like the, and all of us, like every Argentinian has a family member 
whether it's your father, your grandpa, or somebody that lost like three quarters of their total savings in that uh, event. So for us, this understanding of why we need to protect our wealth, why we cannot trust like centralized systems is it's very clear, which maybe in the in the first word is tougher to understand, no? because you, you don't have that, that tough experience we went through. That combined with, you know, hyperinflation and other, you know, big problems we have in the region. And the other thing is Argentina in particular is very prone to technology, like very friendly with technology where we were one of the first countries to adopt mm. like uh, social networks. Uh, uh, Buenos Aires in particular is, is a cosmopolis, uh, so it has like, you know, very good connectivity, great developers. So it's like, at the end, it's like something we, we used to talk with Andreas Antonopoulos when he was coming to La Bitconf, the, the Latin American Bitcoin conference uh, I co-created in 2013. was like, when you come to Latin America, you don't need to explain why Bitcoin. It's like people understand why Bitcoin. Whether because you want to protect your wealth from corrupt governments or you want to protect your wealth from, uh, you know, hyperinflation and, and extremely unstable economies. Bitcoin makes sense. But also, I think, and that's why Rustock was born and we built it, is like most people cannot afford to be exposed to the volatility except in extreme uh, situations of Bitcoin all the time. So, you know, most people need to have also this, what now we call stable assets. They need to, to have access to the dollar. And that's why Actually, people in Argentina, when they protect their wealth, they go to the dollar. It's like I think Argentina is right. one of the countries with more physical dollars in the world after the U.S. <laughs> so that's crazy. It's like people storing their value under the mattress yeah. um, and storing it but, and storing it in dollars. Uh, guys, there's so much to talk about here. So many topics I want to cover. I wish we had three hours for this conversation. <laughs> but I, I really want to ask you guys this question, uh, which is about the news flow this week with regard to SEC, uh, Binance, and Coinbase. Uh, this is an interesting question. Really two questions here. First, uh, what's your view on what's happening in SEC with SEC? And second, what's the view in the Bitcoin community about this? I think a lot of people uh, who are not Bitcoiners themselves uh, may see that as a little bit counterintuitive because there's been a lot of interesting uh, chatter on uh, what's happening with regard to the SEC in the Bitcoin community. Well, maybe we should start with that question, actually, the second one first. Uh, talk a little bit about the view from Bitcoiners about what's happened this week with SEC and Binance and Coinbase. I, yeah, sorry. I, I maybe, Pei, you want to share something and then I will do like, a, you know, I've been a Bitcoiner for 11 years. So, and, you know, I'm a very particular type of Bitcoiner because I, <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of... I think I can, I can, uh, I can do the primer because I'm a more neutral, um, having been in, in multiple ecosystems. I think I've, you know, heard a lot of, extreme views about this. And sadly, there are also Bitcoiners who are cheering for um, right. the situations and the current events. Explain right. why that would be for people who may not be as familiar with it as you are, obviously. I think um, it's, um, you know, obviously, if we are, we're being fair here, um, the two exchanges, Coinbase, Binance, are probably the two driving force, if not like the biggest driving forces of the people onboarding onto crypto, Bitcoin specific, right? In the early days, I felt right. their contribution is not to be um, undermined. 
But at the same time, over time, they've kind of onboarded a lot of other alternative or additional assets, um, which right. kind of create a certain impression and stirred a certain feeling of the Bitcoin community. And also right. within Bitcoin community, it's quite um, complicated segregate, um, segments as well. There's the maxi camp, I'm sure you hear about all the time. And there's the, the working class or the, the plebs community where they are simply just adopting as a citizen, right? Like Bitcoin native citizen. Then you have the builders and infrastructure technologists such as our companies, our teams, our engineers. They're all very different. So I think the perceptions towards um, the the incident, like the, the events that currently are happening can be um, from one side of the spectrum to the other. And I, I think overall, it's the definition of book Bitcoiner also is probably worthwhile challenging um, and questioning at this point. It's like, it's not just Bitcoiner anymore. It's the, the Bitcoiner Maxi, there's the Bitcoin Plabs, there's Bitcoin Builders, right? So if you ask me as someone who's on the, in the third camp, I would say it's unfortunate and I think this is not putting a lot of confidence in the builders in our space to continue working in depth within the U.S. Um, uh, territory. And what would that do as a business is that we have to hedge the risk. We have to pay close attention on how things are evolving. And we're, we have already been kind of intentionally working a lot more with decentralized exchanges and, um, you know, um, non-custodial wallets, for instance, instead of right. centralized and regulated organization because we saw that coming. But this is obviously a very special, unique week where it's just right. so dramatic. Yeah. Uh, Diego, over to you for the first question. What's your view on what's happened here in the last week? Uh, what are the potential implications? How do you think it's going to shake out? Well, I think what is happening is like the U.S. needs to protect the U.S. dollar and you know, it's, this is like, I think crypto is, is seen as uh, one threat. Uh, I don't think it's like we are going into a multipolar world where you have also China creating economic uh, networks uh, around the yuan, the renminbi. So it's not only crypto, but I think it, there is a threat and, and under that umbrella, crypto is also receiving the heat, but I don't think it's like necessarily against crypto at the end. Uh, at the same time, it's like, as Pei said, no, it's like uh, I'm more of a position of being grateful with anybody that help people get in touch with Bitcoin. Although, you know, we also want to to promote the um, the values of decentralization, self sovereignty, and and educate people so they understand, you know, that truly the principles of crypto are are enforced and lived when you when you own your own keys, so no, it's like uh, right. versus having intermediaries, but those intermediaries are bridges. No, it's like we are in a transitional phase. Uh, so we need the intermediaries to bring like the regular people into the space and understand. And, you know, something over the years I, I realized is like people comes uh, to into crypto, into Bitcoin because of the price rise and they stay because they, they start understanding how you know, self-sovereignty, economic sovereignty, how valuable it is, and more when the crisis comes. So people is like, you know, come for the money, stay for sometimes because they understand the, the true value and use it in the crisis. No, So yeah. I think in that context is like we are in a moment where everything we have been building is more important than ever. 
and these having like alternatives, truly self-sovereign and decentralized alternatives, like what we have in the Rustic ecosystem built on top of Bitcoin and everything are key uh, for people, for the regular people. Then you have ideological points of view. And, you know, I might even agree and understand why Marxists feel like everything else, everything that is not uh, Bitcoin is a threat. They, but at the end, that's, that's not the way. It's not that we will build something new, like stepping on, on the bodies of <laughs> other people that, who, who fail to, to achieve their goals. It's like what we need is first, like, uh, and like uh, foster diversity, like uh, from diversity, be very clear and be intellectually honest about, you know, our values, but not imposing right. on others. So, so it's right. like, you know, it's enough to tell people the truth. It's like, I, I understand when Marxists get, some Marxists get mad at people who actually tweaks the, the truth or try to cover things. And I understand that feeling. But I think the true way of sorting that out is not smashing on others or or being toxic, but educating. It's like a, like telling things for what they are. It's like you know, uh, we don't need to it's like self sovereignty is important. Uh, you know, not your keys, not your cheese is true. It's like you need to understand right. that. Uh, but also be diverse and, and embracing of of other things that are in between because decentralization is also. A gradient. No, it's like we. Yeah. If you talk on DeFi protocols, there are certain trade-offs in terms of decentralization, and and it's yep. good that we have that continuum of decentralization. So. And it's also a, a a very significant sort of mental philosophical leap for people who don't have backgrounds in computer science and uh, analytic philosophy and economics, uh, who don't have um, you know just the the. The background to kind of understand what this is. I think that's absolutely correct. That it is certainly a continuum decentralization, uh, and I think that was a very uh, sort of nuanced answer, and I and uh, very much appreciate it. Talking of which, uh, nuanced and subtle questions. We've got some great ones coming in, and I just wanted to touch on a few of these. I know we don't have a lot of time left, uh, but there are just some really great questions for our viewers and listeners coming into us right now. Uh, Christopher on the Real Vision website, uh, not asking a question but making an observation, and this is great. Uh, he says. Uh, Diego's quote from years ago still sticks in my head. Uh, we in South America have a fundamentally different relationship with money than you in America. He says that clicked. I think that's a, just a very important point, particularly for people in America to think about um, the, you know, the fact that we've, uh, we've been very fortunate to have had uh, the currency that we've had over the last uh, you know, 50, 100 years. But not everyone everywhere in the world has had that experience, not just uh, South America, but uh, across developing Asia and Africa. These have been really difficult problems. And in fact, in Eastern Europe as well, significant challenges with currency devaluation that lots of people around the world have faced. Not only on the monetary side, also, you know, you have the, the lack of having a pretty decent a political and, and system and, in, and administrative system like government systems, the level of corruption we have in Latin America, it's, right. it's paramount. So it's like, you know, for us, it's like, like to take it into another direction. It's like when people say, no, if you don't have anything to hide, why you care about privacy? No, it's not like that. It's like, it's, you know, you need to protect privacy for the moment you need it. It's like, it's very easy to say you don't need to, I mean, you don't need to worry about, you know, having self-sovereignty in terms of economic self-sovereignty. 
when you have a system that more or less works and protects your rights and 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 right but when you have a system that is totally corrupt that you know changes the rules all the time that makes the life of entrepreneurs uh, almost impossible yeah. is like and ordinary citizens as well ordinary citizens as well then then you understand that this is is a tool that we need to protect because otherwise when when the crisis hit your door <laughs> there were there won't be anywhere to go no so so it's extremely relevant for latin america but i think it will be right. relevant for everybody in the world let me just get in one true question here this one comes from ralph on the real vision website will the blockchain network get weaker as miners have less incentive to participate, uh, I think what Ralph is referring here is the uh, block reward uh, tapering with the halving. Talk a little bit about the relationship, if you would, uh, between block reward yes. uh, and transaction fees <laughs> to incentivize miners on the Bitcoin network. I, I love that because it's actually why we build Rustock like we build it. It's like there are papers from 2012 you know, describing, we knew this, this is not something that we are just realizing now. It's like, you know, in 2012, we knew that, you know, the subsidy, because basically what Bitcoin did is like, it has a subsidy by emission, by issuance of, of new Bitcoins in the early days. So in order to incentivize the network to operate until fees, network fees can, can take over. So we always knew that that subsidy would need to be replaced by by transaction fees. So we knew that that eventually was going to make transaction fees on Bitcoin pretty expensive and, and, and make the Bitcoin network a settlement network more than a payment processing network. But that's why the design of Rootstock is so important because by having merge mining and having like more scalability, but being denominated in Bitcoin and paying the Bitcoin miners, what it creates is like uh, it re reduces the burden for the for the Bitcoin network for the layer one of Bitcoin to take over the the full economic burden of of the transaction of the operational cost. So so you can when I mean when Rustock reaches certain level of transactionality and operations, you know we will help keep the Bitcoin transactions on layer one. Uh, cheap and accessible, you know, it's like they will still need to go up, but, you know, maybe they will be in the realm of a few dollars, maybe $10 and not uh, go to $20, $30 and make it prohibitive for yeah. many use cases. I would yes, also absolutely. add to, yeah, sorry, just to add it um, to what DK Diego just said is, um, I think the incentive model of Bitcoin miners are a lot of times not being looked at by others, right? Like hmm. the incentive model is not in a diminishing path, but it's in a transitional path, meaning that it's a combination of, you know, mining rewards, um, the BTC, as well as transaction fees, as uh, Diego pointed out, over time, the portion of transaction fee incentive will overpower um, the portion of mining. And obviously we're talking about years right. ahead. But they're already the biggest mining pools, the most like strategic ones are already placing strategies in place so that they are ahead of others in mm. terms of securing the long-term um, economic sustainability. And I'll give you an example. For instance, one of our uh, merge mining partners, Luxor, um, acquired Ordinals Hub because they felt that would be a strategic move to give them sort of the key to the next next phase of development uh, growth 
right? To tap into the asset and asset-related transaction world is going to help them position themselves in the long term. So we're super excited about to see like what's what's to come in in that uh, in that community and how we can help them. Yeah, guys, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'm sure our viewers and listeners have as well. Uh, I think we've all learned a great deal today uh, in chatting with you guys. I just wanted to do quick final takeaways uh, from each of you. We only got a few moments left. Uh, let's start with you, Pay, since we started with Diego at the beginning. Uh, final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our audience with, 30 seconds or less. I think we are um, entering a as the title indicated, a Bitcoin renaissance right, period, and it's literal and it's real. And I think what's going to come is a lot more interesting creative ideas to be captured and executed on top of Bitcoin or on sidechains like Rootstock. So I think my takeaway is like, let's you know build together. We have a lot of incentive programs in place, such as the Rootstock um, grants program. Um, it's on rootstock.io slash grants. You can apply. We would love to work with builders from different areas um, to explore what would be the best use cases and utilities to be created on top of Rootstock. So, and I think in six months time, we're going to look at the Bitcoin community and ecosystem and see a very completely different look. Diego, final thoughts, 30 seconds. I think, you know, this uh, Bitcoin was born out of a crisis, 2008 crisis. Uh, now we are facing similar big crisis, but we are prepared. Now we are in a much better place. We have this ecosystem, we have the tools, we have uh, communities. Um, so although as bleak, it might, the future might look in the short term, I think we have the opportunity to turn this into a different direction. And, uh, you know, Bitcoin is at, at the heart of it. Uh, so, so yeah, that's, that's uh, thinking and it will be a quite different way of doing it than the, the one we had in the past years. So I think we are moving from speculation into utility and, and everyday life needs. And uh, yeah, so, so it's a huge opportunity. I'm very excited. I'm as excited or more excited than I was 10 years ago. So great conversation, guys. You'll have to come back and join us again soon for an update. <laughs> Our, my pleasure. Ash. Thank you for inviting us. That's it for today. Check out Real Vision website where we're currently running a festival of learning campaign focused on AI. You can get seven days of Real Vision premium access and insights for free. Head over to realvision.com forward slash festival of learning. That's realvision.com forward slash festival of learning. We'll be back again tomorrow with Sergey Nazarov, co-founder of Chainlink. That's going to be a great show. Make sure not to miss this. See it at 9 a.m. Pacific time, noon Eastern, 5 p.m. in London. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great day. Hey there. Thanks for joining us today. Just a reminder, today's Crypto Daily Briefing is in partnership with the Crypto Phenom Letter. This one-of-a-kind premium investment newsletter service highlights the next winners coming in cryptocurrency tokens and equities. Get special access today at phenomcrypto.com realvision. That's phenomcrypto.com 